Welcome to New Life Baptist Church, where we grow in relationships, grow in discipleship, and grow in Jesus Christ. We invite you to join us in our study of parables in the Gospel of Luke. These are stories Jesus used to apply the Gospel truths to the lives of Christians. So we ask you subscribe, join in, so that you don't miss a single Sunday. This morning we're still in chapter 13, and so you can follow along in the outline we have in the on the back of the bulletin there. This is somewhat of a simple, simple parable. Really, the way I like it, it's just straightforward to the chase, and we can mull it over um, in our mind. That's what we hope to do this morning. The parable uh, of the mustard seed and of the leaven. Um, and ultimately, I hope what we see in this is illustrated in this analogy within the parable. What I hope we find is that Christianity is primarily a movement. Um, and that's what we're going to look toward uh, this morning after giving the illustrations from Jesus Christ. And so... We'll jump in. It's in Luke 13. I'll begin reading in verse 18 just through 21. It's a short section there. And I welcome you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word together. Luke 13, beginning in verse 18. Then said he, Unto unto what is the kingdom of God like? And, unto, and whereunto shall I resemble it? It's like a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and cast into his garden, and it grew and waxed a great tree, and fowls of the air lodged in the branches of it. And again he said, Whereunto shall I liken the kingdom of God? It is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. Heavenly Father, we come to your word knowing that there's an element of mystery within parables. But Lord, we also know according to your word that through parables you conceal your kingdom from some and yet you use them in a wonderful way to reveal your kingdom to others. Lord, we thank you that this morning many of those sitting here are those that you have already revealed yourself to in a number of ways. And Lord, we pray this morning that you administer to us by your Spirit that we would come to know you more fully even today. Lord, I pray your blessings upon all of us. Lord, and and I ask especially for your blessings that as I handle your word that I am faithful in the preaching of it. Lord, that at all costs, you speak to us through your word. And so Lord, we trust you 
to guide us as we study your word. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. And you all may be seated. So like I said, this is one that's, that's fairly simple. And I always feel like it's, it's nice to have just a few verses where we can slow down and, and really begin to meditate upon those, those passages and, and, uh, and, and run them over and to see what, how it is that, that Christ is revealing himself and his kingdom to us. And we've basically got two. Two very similar yet distinct examples. We've got the mustard seed and the leaven. And then there's huge implications that I would venture to say we'll all be thinking about as we leave here today. And so we're just going to handle each one of those and then by the end see how this translates and, and maybe how it is that we should view our, our ministry and the way that we do church. So first, like the mustard seed in verses 18 and 19, he says, what, what should I compare the kingdom to? It's like a grain of mustard seed. Later in Luke, he's going to actually use the same expression, which a lot of times my mind goes to when I hear mustard seed, I think of the passage, whenever we have faith like the grain of the mustard seed, we'll say to the mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea. And so in a similar way, Jesus is teaching using mustard seed, which is a very small seed to describe big things um, through faith. But here it's, just, it's more pointedly the kingdom of God as a whole. And so just, just to picture for us, um, I like the gardening analogies. They're used pretty consistently within Scripture. And they're a particular help to us, uh, you know, whenever we're trying to teach our kids things and we're able to get out in the garden and see it. And typically what you see is the bigger the seed, the bigger the fruit. We might think of a, a watermelon or a, uh, a pumpkin has a, has a fairly large seed relatively to, you know, a... Uh, you know, a banana or an asparagus or something else, they're very tiny. Um, and, and that's not, it's not like a, I don't know, maybe that's not an exact analogy or an exact science, but in my mind, that's the way that things typically work. So that whenever we would look at a mustard seed, which I don't know if you've ever seen one, but it's a, it's a very small seed that surprisingly, it's not a fruit seed, but it does yield a tree that's common in Northern Africa and in the Middle East that that's a, produces a fairly large shade tree that can grow notoriously as wide as it does tall. Um, a nice, beautiful shade tree. And so I hope by God's grace you've been blessed to have experienced a nice big shade tree where you can hang a swing or something else. That is a blessing to us. Um, we just... I mean, we remember the, the fig tree that didn't produce shade. It's because shade is a blessing <laughs> in the hot summer days. But in this, in comparing the mustard seed to the kingdom of God, we have to really stop. 
allow ourselves to slow down and just meditate, to look and admire what it is we see in that small miracle of a seed producing big life. And first is, is that that seed has seemingly small beginnings. And so if you're filling in the blank, that's what we hope to do is just to engage with the material in the, in the message this morning. It has seemingly small beginnings. This is something that you can't convince me even as we study husbandry and horticulture and all of these different things and, and people even seek to modify genetic organisms and whatnot. You just can't get, get through to me that it's anything short of a miracle that a seed produces life, that it decays and produces something far bigger than itself. Um, it's magnificent. And for Jesus to say that the kingdom has this seemingly small beginnings is interesting. As we're hearing from Jesus Christ, one who people expected a big reign out of the gate, and yet he came humble as a servant and had a relatively quiet ministry in the beginning. And like we've already said, this seed coming from seemingly small beginnings, it yields very large growth. Having something as wide as it is tall, um, there's a couple of people I know personally that, that have a rather big tree laying down right now. Um, and uh, this, this is a big thing. We know the large growth of the kingdom. Something in this kingdom of God that, that, that hits the earth and we realize, we already know from history past that this is huge in its implications. It's so catastrophic in the life of man that history stops and starts back over. In which the reason we say we're in 2020 AD is Anno Domini, that means the day of our Lord. We all, if we say it's 2020, celebrate or at least acknowledge the coming of Christ, the inauguration of the kingdom that's being compared to a mustard seed. So large, large growth, catastrophic growth, all-encompassing growth. And it's got a, a very outward evidence the evidence of that growth is outward. It's undeniable. So that whenever we see just this comparison of a, of a tiny, minute, insignificant seed cast or planted to a garden, it is undeniable when we see the growth of the kingdom, when we see the growth of this mustard seed. There's no, no one can deny its presence and it is very forthright in its existence. And then Jesus seems to want to further identify the kingdom. And he gives us a second example in verse 20 and 21. He says again, where shall I liken the kingdom of God? It's like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. We know that is like yeast. And here we may even think of... Um, the passage, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. And from Galatians 5, 9. 
Now there, Paul is talking about the working of faith, but he's not really comparing leaven to that. He's speaking of those who hinder the work of faith, and he guards us against this sort of hindering work that he compares to leaven, that it's really pervasive. Maybe it brings an element of spiritual warfare into the discussion. Here, though, Christ says the kingdom of God is like leaven. We know what leaven is. We know that that's yeast. That's how we get fluffy bread. Whenever we have the Lord's Supper, we're eating unleavened bread. It's flat bread that we're partaking of. It's the bread of the Passover. But here, it's, this is like leaven. This is that yeast that gives rise to the bread. Some of you all are bakers. I don't know what to what extent. Rachel makes different things, breads, cakes, and, and pizza, and the whole nine yards, and she'll use the, the yeast that you know is activated in water and is added to the flour and so on. Y'all know how that works. Some of us even make the, uh, what do they call, friendship bread, where it has to have that, and, and forgive me if my terminology is not correct, but there's a, a starter or something, right? And that's why it's friendship bread is because we save a little of what's of the batter and we pass it on to someone else and it is enough to activate and to work within an entire new loaf. And so it goes. And we see that leaven works that way. And it continues. It doesn't add anything to, to the mass of, of the mixture. It's an unnoticeable ingredient or easily unnoticeable. Once mixed in, there's nothing, it doesn't add to the volume. It's, it's just insignificant, almost unnoticeable in its beginning. Now, before we jump on, because some of you already know what, what yeast and leaven, what that does, Christ is saying the kingdom is like leaven. So small and minute, even unnoticeable at the start. And yet there's evident growth because what happens when we add the yeast to the bread? Before we bake it, everything else. Yeah, yeah, it rises. Anybody added too much yeast or waited too long? Had one just kind of blow up on you and fall over and make a huge mess? It grows. You see, there's something, something in that, that dough that happens. As this yeast is added, it seems unnoticeable, but the dough itself will rise, not just in its baking, but the dough will rise. Something changes, and it grows to where someone can obviously see when they come in at the stove, well, that uh, dough is a little bit bigger than it was earlier, or a lot bit bigger than it was earlier. And here we read, Christ says, this is the kingdom is like the leaven that's put in three measures. Three times what maybe the recipe calls for, and yet the leaven still works throughout all of it. Without any distinction, it covers the, the whole mass of the dough. Because the reality is, is whenever this dough has an evident growth, it's an inward work. It might be said that we're 
And the mustard seed is very outward. It's evident. No one, it's undeniable. Here, this is something that though it's evident to us, there's really nothing that we can say to the untrained eye. would say the dough, it looks like a bunch of flour and water. There's nothing that we, that we can point to and say, well, that's the yeast there. That's how much it has added to it. And yet the dough has somehow changed in the way that it's constituted. The way that it works inwardly. And with, I mean, the dough itself changes. We already know the yeast is but just a, a pinch. You don't add much to it, do you, ladies? Not, not much yeast is required. It can't add this volume to the dough. And yet there's an inward work that changes inherently what the dough is by itself because of the yeast. I hope you're able to make some of those connections already. Some of these things are what the minds of Jesus' original audience is drawn to. They already know how small the mustard seed is. They already know how wonderful the shade tree is that provides the shepherd and their sheep shade out in the pasture. They already know the way leaven works and the way it is to the bread. And I might even argue, thinking about this now, that Jesus has made pains to illustrate this to both the man and the woman. It is an entirely indiscriminatory message. Now this is where we need to step back and think, what is he talking about? to ones who may have expected God to come and reign, who look forward to and wait upon the promises of God that's been given through all the prophets, and now they're told what you're looking for is like the mustard seed. It's like the leaven. Something both of which seems insignificant, both of which experience great growth. But both of those examples are both outward undeniable but inward and pervasive growth. And so I've already sort of spelled out some of the, the final outline, but we have got to see Christianity as a movement. First, the bottom line is we can almost apply the kingdom directly and just say how it is that the kingdom meets each one of these three little subpoints that we've gone through in each example. But the reality is the kingdom of God is foolishness to the world. Don't you understand how small beginnings, how seemingly insignificant it is that our hero, the grand protagonist in the Christian story, died. He was put to death on a cross. That doesn't look like the victorious entrance of a new regime. Small beginnings. Even after the resurrection, it's either denied or, or forgotten or if whether people are unaware, it just sounds like foolishness. Paul makes that clear in the first chapter in 1 Corinthians. This is foolishness to the world. We so often busy ourselves with conversations of creation or, or how the end will come or, or, or present events and, and, and people are so stricken with, oh, how could that be true? How could God create in six days? Or how could, 
uh, he'd be so at work now and say, look, if you can't believe that, then you got no business believing in, in a Savior who died and then rose again. It's outlandish. This is the sort of nature of our gospel. We've got to realize how insignificant, how paradigm shifting that is for us. And beyond that, we've got to realize in the context, whenever Jesus is talking about the kingdom, readying us for small beginnings, it takes its root in the historical and spiritual reality of the life and death of Christ. And so we can't skip over that, that the life and death of Jesus Christ is both a historical and a spiritual reality or a historical reality that has eternal spiritual ramifications. It's a reality. You just can't deny it. I don't have to discuss that. There is more evidence for the life and the death and frankly the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is for Napoleon Bonaparte or frankly that you or I exist. I'm just not interesting enough to write about, I don't guess. But it's a reality. An undeniable reality. He came and lived. It's a historical event. But Man, in Christ, and I hope that we see this unifying work because in that life that is a historical reality, there's a spiritual implications that last for eternity. So we're seeing in Christ, in that life that we're talking about, all of this being grounded in the reality, how small and insignificant it is that one man would bring about the kingdom of God. Understand that one man... Jesus was fully man, and yet he was fully God. He united something so insignificant, not marching in with armies and powers and principalities and authority and all of these different things that they might have expected. And yet he came in bearing the scepter. And yet I think this parable reaches further than just the reality of Christ. He says the kingdom of God is this way with small beginnings, but huge, huge and pervasive growth. And there's a reason that I use that. Because big growth doesn't get it. Pervasive does. What, what it means to pervade is something that creeps in to every facet of our life or of society or community, of, of everything. Pervasive means to, to go throughout. And I want you to understand as we deal with so many different issues today, and I think that the Lord has just allowed a number of different tumultuous circumstances in our age where we have seen we have seen scare from having to do with our physical health with viruses and things we've seen 
uh, people fearful of their own possessions. We've seen material shortages. We've seen uh, you know, economic downturn, joblessness. We have seen government, maybe even overreach, or, or if not that, certainly a, a goal, a government polarity, a division that I don't know that we've seen. And so people are just up in arms about this and not knowing what way will it go, where will I land, how will I be cared for. And all of our high places are being torn down. And I, I can't help but say I think this is a good thing. Because we need to realize, church, that the kingdom of God pervades all of that. Everywhere we're talking about, we're literally week in and week out, we've been supporting brothers and sisters all over the world. From the Philippines today, Honduras south of us, we've, we've met our own community. We pray for those everywhere. We're hearing story after story where frankly, the gospel is meeting the needs where there is disease. The gospel is meeting needs where there is political unrest and even persecution. We've experienced some, some terrible tragedies in, in, in the protests and riots and, and whatever instigated all of those. I, I don't have to handle each of those for you to tell you how what the right government stand uh, approach is or what should our be response I'm going to tell you Christ God has already responded in Jesus Christ he already has there are people I read of that are already doing ministries where they're being oppressed and 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 persecuted by their governments and or or by revolutionaries and all these things and yet they're comforted in the gospel. You see, the kingdom of God comes because it doesn't depend on our politicians. It doesn't depend on our finances. And frankly, it doesn't depend on our, our ability to put into the offering plate. That is just one small, meek response in the way that God meets those needs. Because he acts through, he does act through our giving. He acts through our obedience. He acts through our prayers. God acts miraculously. And I think sometimes we're tempted to become lazy in viewing the kingdom of God, it certainly is God's work, but we act as if we have no part in it. Too often we look for the work of God and yet we don't participate in it. And I think we need to really take a look at the way that we do church and view Christianity as a movement. 
And sometimes we need reminding that, that people didn't come together and create a club. They didn't even think about the culture. How will we address our culture? How will we contextualize our message so that we can meet the need of the oppressed over here or that situation that's going on over there or, 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 or what's going on within our own ranks? And sadly, a great deal of heresy has come in through our work in missions. Trying too hard to engage a world that still thinks our gospel is foolish. I'm going to tell you something. If your God is not big enough, you need to come to the Word of God. If your Christ is not big enough to handle all of these things without thinking that we need some separate program or some new wave approach... You got it wrong. The, this gospel is what's going to change our approach. Amen. This gospel is what's going to move through our feet, through our hands, through our voice, and through our pockets. It doesn't matter. It is a pervasive gospel. In church, we need to be, that means we need to be a pervasive church. If the gospel hasn't reached the, the factories, you know, the paper mills, the smelters, and, and all, of these, all of these areas of retail and business, if we look out and say, well, they haven't heard the gospel, whose fault is that? God has sent a pervasive gospel. This ought to be our goal. As we do life, as we do ministry, when we view the church, when we think of church, when we think of Christianity, you've got to quit thinking about your personal level of devotion. Sure, God's done a work, but He's doing a work through you. And it's not just so that you're going to be uh, the epitome uh, of a Christian walking through those heavenly gates. You'll either be a worker in the kingdom or a worker of iniquity. And so we need to be thinking of how is it that we are enjoining this movement that is Christianity. We're in an age where everybody wants to be an activist. They want to be part of a movement. How, how are we doing and really, this should characterize our life as a whole. And, and you know, I wasn't going to use this example, but I, I did have a conversation this week where it come up um, because, you know, our family, the boys, which we haven't for some time, but we do participate in judo and enjoy martial arts and things like that. And I know one man, and there's a, a number of acquaintances of people I've worked with, um, of one man who's a, he's a kung fu artist. Now, there's a great deal to be said with some of the hazards, the spiritual hazards that are involved in a number of those martial arts uh, studies. But the reality is, is that one, a, a true practitioner of Kung Fu that's, that's following this, he doesn't say, well, how, how do you practice your Kung Fu or how do you do or what are you doing? But when he says, how's your Kung Fu, that is life. 
everything. And that system of belief is Kung Fu. All of that is Kung Fu. It's like Chi or some other. We could go to any one of these sort of, which really it, it leads into there is a pagan implications to all of that. But that's the way they ask is, is how's your Kung Fu? How is life? How is all of it, all of what constitutes life and, and your being, how is that going for you? I think, if I may, we need to start understanding church as a way of life. We need to stop saying, uh, how is church going? Well, our numbers were... Our budget is, uh, hey, we just started this new program. We have got to realize that as the church, what we mean, what Christ seems to mean when he talks about the kingdom is something that, that, that works in seemingly insignificant but eternally magnificent ways that involves all of your life. And so we need to view church as a movement, something that is growing in and through us. And to do that, we have to abide in His Word. And we've got to be allowing Him to work through us in this way, there is so much to be said. And this is, what, this is where we should leave. We should close our message slightly dissatisfied with our understanding of these things. We should leave here in meditation, completely mulling over and, and thinking about the ways in which Christ is moving in and among us as a body of believers. We're called to a marriage supper with Christ and yet we live our lives like we're divorced. And so I pray that the Spirit is working, that there's not much else that my humble words could say, but that we would consider this coming week the way that, that we would experience the kingdom the way Christ has prescribed it, described it to us. For this, I think we're going to need his help. And so let's pray. Heavenly Father, By your word, you've given us an interesting analogy and so Lord, I pray that you just that you work in and through us for one that you would give us an understanding of just how full the work of Christ is. Lord, that we would come to a new understanding of your gospel and knowing just what that means. That it's not a 
simply just this one and done, but Father, it is something that is still alive and functioning and growing and moving today. That there are souls yet to be impacted by this eternal and invasive gospel. And Father, as we come to you this morning seeking knowledge and awareness and conviction, we can't help but realize we're standing on the opposite side of the planet of where this gospel was brought forth and initiated for us. And so, Lord, we, we ask that you just move us, that we would seek to use our every faculty that every work that we would do, every word that we would speak would somehow find a way to envelope our family in the gospel, that would envelope our community in the gospel. Lord, that would envelope the, the afflicted and the poor and poverty-stricken in our community with hope that's in the gospel, that we would be able to give a rest to those who are weary that comes in Jesus Christ alone. Father, that we would be able to preach a justice to those who feel slighted in the world. And Lord, that you would pull us away from developing such an unwarranted trust in temporary governments and in temporary possessions and in temporary programs. Father, that we would do life and church in such a way that we would enter into those eternal gates only continuing what we've had the opportunity to already participate in. Lord, we ask you forgive us for waiting, for thinking that, that our, our work in the kingdom, our experience in the kingdom is just for some future time. Lord, help us, help us to see you now. Lord, we thank you for where the work of ministry has been going on throughout the church and we, we praise you for that. And we realize that in this message there is great hope knowing that there is none in this world who your gospel is not sufficient to save. Now, Father, that we would adjourn and take that gospel with us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to New Life Baptist Preaching. Our goal is to help you and equip you to serve in the way God is calling you. This is where we grow in relationships we grow in discipleship, 
and we grow together in Jesus Christ. We hope that you continue to tune in and to subscribe so that you don't miss a single Sunday.